so really, my job as a minister is, it's not that complicated. I'm supposed to explain the Bible. That's one of, one of the things that's my job. So that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to explain the Bible. I might throw in some stories or illustration along the way. But hopefully, if I do, it's to help explain the Bible. So I've got about 10 or 11 verses and I'm in 2 Corinthians 5. We've gone through 1 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians 5 now. Sometimes we take a little break and maybe there's something we should talk about or something that maybe God is calling us to dig into a little bit or maybe a, an issue comes up and we need to talk about it and deal with it. But our normal pattern, just in case you wonder, is we kind of go through, we typically go through books of the Bible find that to be real helpful, find it's helpful to people who study the Bible and they want to learn how, like, well, how could I, how do I read the Bible? And then they kind of go, oh, I guess the same way we kind of do at church. We read through, we ask questions, maybe we study, we meditate on it. We try to think through, well, what might a, a application be for us? And so really what we do on Sunday mornings is kind of a, um, it's a lesson for how you can, you can do this too. It's, it's not all that complicated. And so we, I would recommend you do what I did when we started. You pray and you say, Lord God, would you open my eyes? I'm going to read this passage in your word and I don't really understand all of it, but I'm not going to go too fast and I'm kind of, I might even take some notes and I might even look up a few things and oh wow, there's a cross reference in my Bible or I can Google uh, this passage to learn a little bit more. You can really do the same things that I do. And so what I do on Sunday morning is it's supposed to help you learn how to become a student of God's Word. And then on Sundays we get to talk about it together, which is pretty cool. Because then that way some of you can go and talk about it afterwards. You can go, hey, remember that? Or maybe over lunch today um, you might want to say, well, what did you think about this or that? So just a, a, good, a good method for you to kind of take what you're learning here and apply it when, when you go home. Okay, so this whole chapter, this whole section is really about being reconciled to God, which must imply that we're not in a great relationship with God naturally. If I need to be reconciled with someone, the implication is that I'm at odds with them. And so, I don't know if you knew this, but we come into this world and we spend our lives at odds with God. You might not even have known that you were. The Bible says that we were at enmity with God. We're sort of wanting to do our thing and be our own leader and be our own guide. And God says, no, I'm, I should be leader. I'm the creator. You should follow me. And at first, we don't really like that. It's like, I don't want anybody to be over me. And so our natural desire to be in charge is confronted with the one who really is in charge. And so God is calling us Every time we come to the Word, He's saying, let me lead. Put me in first. Put me as, let me be king. Let me be Lord. Let me fight for you. Let me go in front of you and let me show you the way. And let me show you some things about your own heart. Let me coach you. Let me shepherd you. Let me teach you the way that is right. And so this passage is really telling how that begins how you can be reconciled with God. I hope that before you leave here, every person is going to go, I, I, I know how to be, I know, at least intellectually, 
I know how to be reconciled with God. Um, Jesus did something for me. And on the basis of what Jesus did for me, I can actually be in a right relationship with God, a healthy, harmonious, peaceful relationship with God. Because Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross, I've always wondered how the cross fit into me. I understand the cross. I understand what Jesus did. Now I realize that He did that so I could be reconciled in a, in a right relationship with God. So hopefully that will make sense as I go through this, uh, these verses. Verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. I, I want to pause there for a minute. Um, why does he say, talk about the fear of the Lord? I think it's because the passage that's just in, that we just read, the passage before talked about um, the coming day of God's judgment. And he says that everything's going to come up before God. And therefore, there's a certain fear of the Lord. That means, hmm, if you have a right perspective of what's going to take place, it ought to make you want to be reconciled with God. That's kind of what he's saying. It says, based on, if you really understood verses 1 through 10, then now verse 11 just naturally follows. Um, You need to think about that judgment seat of Christ one day, and God wants to help you do business before then. And that's what he's talking about. And then he said, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Did you know that's what we do? That's my job. That's your job. We persuade others. We're supposed to persuade others to think about, hey, there's a day coming when we're going to stand before God. Are you ready? And we persuade. We try to be, I don't know if you realize this, but it it makes sense to try to be as persuasive as you can. Try to be persuasive. I sit at home sometimes and I prepare for Sundays and go, man, how can, how can I be persuasive? How can I get this point across? And you ought to think like that when God gives you the opportunity to share your faith with someone. It's like, oh, I'm just going to throw it out there. No, you're like, well, how can I be persuasive? I want to gain a hearing with this person. How can I put it in such a way that they, it relates to them? I don't just read through a tract and say, here, eat this. I try to think, how can I work with this person to help them understand. And Rebecca was saying, we might even give pickleball a go to see if God can use an activity to first begin to show them, I care about you. We're over here playing this game because we really want to talk to you about getting right with God. And so you build relationships and then you try to be persuasive in the way you, you go about it. So it says, we try to persuade others, but we are, what we are is known to God. God knows who I am. He knows everything about me. He knows what I think, what I do. It's known to God. There's no secrets between me and God. And the sooner I realize that, the the better opportunity I'm going to have. And I'm going to figure out why I need to be reconciled with God. I've I've got a lot of offenses against God in my heart. I've made a lot of mistakes and I've actually disobeyed God in so many ways. And the the sooner I get to know that and realize God knows that, now I need to know with that. Then it says, I hope it is known in in your conscience. Do you know God gave you a conscience and that conscience... It's like a, a, a bell that goes off. Ding. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Ding. Shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Ding. It goes off way too often. But the Bible says He gave it to us so that we can know what's really in our hearts, so that we have this sense of what is right and wrong. That's why we're here. There's something inside of us is saying, man, I, I need to know God. I, I need to know what I'm supposed to do with my life. 
And so, knowing the fear of the Lord, we, we try to persuade people that God knows us. And my heart's telling me things aren't right. My conscience is working. Is your conscience working? Some goes, yeah, a little too well. Thank God for our consciences that awaken us sometimes to when we need to ask forgiveness or when we need to change our behavior. Verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again. Why, why did they need to commend themselves? Because there were people who were accusing them of being false apostles. There were people saying to Paul, you don't need to listen to Paul. And Paul had to, in a sense, commend himself. He had to lay his credentials out. And he wasn't really trying to brag. He just says, look, I really am called of God. And the reason you need to listen to me is I am an apostle called by God, recognized by the other apostles, and here's what I've done with my life, and here's my credentials. You can ignore me if you want to, but don't say that I'm, I made up my own calling. And he lines his, his credentials out. And he said, but that's not really what I'm doing, giving you calls, but giving you calls to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So Paul was really, his ministry was more focused on the heart. He wanted people to think about their hearts. And some people focus on the outward, on the outward. That's the natural way people look at it. Even churches do that. Hey, how many, how many of y'all baptized? How many seats your church on? How many services you have? Do y'all have um, multiple campuses? Is your pastor famous? How many, does he write books? Where's his podcast? Cool. Whoa, man, does your worship team, are they just like killing it? And we look outward. We look at those outward things and God says, those are, those are fine. Those are, those are not unimportant. But what's really important is how's your heart? And if you come here and you don't feel that someone's inquiring week after week about your heart, you, you should be feeling like, man, get ready when you go to church. He's going to probe a little. He's going to make you think about what's really in your heart. He's not just going to give you a pep talk. He's going to go after your heart and your relationship with God. That, you ought to think that way when you come to church. When you go to a Bible study. When you're worshiping, it's like, man, it feels like they're, they're aiming at my heart. And then your heart starts to feel things. And the Spirit of God begins to work and begin to move. Because God is concerned not just about outward appearance. He's mainly concerned about what is in the heart. That's what He wants. And then He says, if... Verse 13, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. In other words, if we're acting a little crazy, if we get called radical, crazy Christians, Paul's like, it's okay. I'm, it's okay. It's for God. I'm willing to be called things for God. Are you? Are you willing to be called things for God? Are you terrified that someone might find out that you're a Christian? He's like, oh, that would be so embarrassing. My friends would think I'm gone nuts. And Paul's like, no, no. I don't mind being, later in another, earlier in 1 Corinthians, he talked about being a fool for Christ's sake. He wasn't really trying to be a fool, but he was perceived as a fool. And do you know that you guys are too? 
Do you know that there's people out on the golf course today and they're laughing at you? So they put more money in the bucket than I can go up and play at one of Cashier's finest golf courses. They put money in the offering and we could be playing golf right now. They're like, those Christians are crazy. They spend money, they build buildings. That, that, what they tithe pays for my country club uh, membership. How silly they are. There are people that are think y'all lost your minds. The person at work gave up one of their two weeks of vacation to go to Slovenia. And they don't even speak Slovenian, Slovak or whatever, whatever the language is there. Slovenian. It's like, why do people do that? They're crazy, those Christians. And we ought to be going, not really. I know you might think that. But if you really understood, then it wouldn't seem that crazy. That's why he says, if we are in our right mind, it's for you. Because remember, if you're not a Christian, the things Christians do look a little crazy. And that's why some people are going, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be one of those crazy Christians. But then once you become a Christian, you go, oh, that makes sense. I understand that. I see now why y'all do some of the things you do. And it starts to make sense. So when you're, when you're, in, when you're inquiring into Christianity, some of it doesn't make sense at first. But then once you become a Christian, it's like, I get it. Man, I gladly, I'm giving to support the work of God's kingdom. What is a vacation anyway compared to having the opportunity to go serve God? It's like, that's cool. That's eternal. And it just suddenly, your, your paradigm just shifts. And you start thinking about the wonder of God's kingdom. In verse 14, it talks about the motive. Do you ever see someone do something and you're wondering what their motive is? Oh, what's their motive? You ever had someone come up to you really, really nice? And they're not usually really, really nice. First thing you're going, what do you want? What are you after? Your parents ever do that when the kids come up and they're so nice? Mommy, is there anything I can do for you? Uh, what do you want? Uh, we need to know the motive. Why would God do this? Why would God send His Son to suffer and die on the cross? We need to know the motive. It just literally makes no sense until you understand why He did it. Why would God humble Himself, come off of His throne, hide His divinity and His uh, royalty, and come incognito and live in this world where no one recognizes who He is, and He's the very one who made the world, and then let them make fun of Him crucify him, mock him, kill him, betray him. Why would he do that? What kind of motive would make him do that? He's either mad or madly in love. His motive is love. He did it because he loves you. you if you want to understand the cross, it's, it's as simple as singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Why the cross? Jesus loves me. This I know. Isn't that incredible? For the love of Christ has come into us and now controls us. It's now our motive. That's why we do crazy stuff. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Did you know? I know this sounds crazy. I, I, I'm assuming that I'm assuming that everyone here that's married understands what it means to fall in love. I'm just making that assumption, okay? Is that fair? I'm assuming that it wasn't a prearranged marriage and, you know, you're just like, okay, I'm going to do this 60 years with him. Ha, 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 ha. 
I hope you know something about what it's like to fall in love. But did you, did you or that maybe one day you will. But um, did you know that the Bible actually speaks as if we can fall in love with God? We can actually love Him and thank Him. We can be so full of awe and wonder to think He loves me. And He did this for me and I love Him back. I can't believe, Lord, I've never been loved like this. Most people, the more they find out about me, the less they like me. But with you, you know everything and you couldn't love me more. It's amazing. And therefore, that motivates me. Everything I do now, I want to, I want to run it through the filter of remembering what Christ did for me. Have, I'm sure some of you are here Christians and you started to sin and you go, mm, man, how, how can I do that? Because Christ loves me so much. You ever been stopped in your tracks when you were intent on sinning because you remembered how much God loves you? And it's like, oh man. And you wish you'd thought of it more often because then it would stop you more often. But sometimes it really is a reminder of the love of Christ. You ever been on your way to go sin? And maybe some song comes on radio and you're like going, oh man. How I can't, I can't go do that. You know, I was all excited about tonight's date and I was really looking forward to having some sex. And I thought about Christ. Boy, is that not a motive to stop you? Um, the love of Christ motivates me, controls us because we have concluded that one has died for all. Jesus died for all. This is what we call the substitutionary atonement. One perfect, holy, righteous person was willing to sacrifice his life that others might live. One died for all, making the possibility of salvation available to all, to everyone, to every human being, every person who ever lives and who ever stands before God will hear God say, I gave my son to die for you. Why did you reject him? Why he died for you. Look at the cross. Look at what I did. Look what I offered to you. Even those who lived before Christ cannot question the love of God, knowing that God was going to make a provision for sin, knowing that God, God's will was fellowship and the human rebellion rejected God's love, but God still made a way. He promised to make a way even before casting them out of the Garden of Eden. He announced, I'm sending you out, but you must look for me and find the way of salvation I am promising. If you want me, I'm available. I promise I am available. Trust me. Turn to me. Put your faith in me. I'll carry you to the cross if you are B.C., before Christ, and I'll take you back to the cross if you are A.D. Either way, you must meet me at the cross. That's where one died for all. And it's this astounding reality that Christ says, look to the cross if you want to know how much I love you. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died for me and was raised. So Jesus died and was raised and that impacted me. There was a moment in my life where that impacted me so profoundly that I couldn't turn back. It's like the light went off. I couldn't turn back. It was so attractive to me what Jesus had done. Before I'd heard it, I ignored it. I was, you know, count the tiles on the ceiling in the church. Can't wait for church to be over. Can't wait to go play. Why is church taking so long? He's already two minutes after 12. And he's like, when? Well, I hope we get to go to a restaurant on the way home. That's all I thought about in church. 
I didn't think. And then suddenly I had an encounter, a real encounter with God through Jesus Christ. And I couldn't walk away again. He became, I understood what he had done for me and I felt I need this in my life. I so desperately need this love of God and what Christ did on the cross for me. And it was so attractive. It was irresistible. I just couldn't turn away from it. I just ran to him and I go, Lord, really for me? I, I don't know how I've heard this so many years and it just suddenly dawned on me. I need you. I need you and I want you. Once I understood my need and once I understood what Christ had done to meet that need, it's like I can't turn back. I take you, Lord. How can I not? It was like a magnet just drawing me to the love of God in Christ. And then I understood the power of the resurrection meant that I could have hope in this world, in this life. After I died, that if Christ rose and died and he said, you attached yourself to me and when you die, you'll rise too. And I said, well, I get that too. Not only do I get pardon of my sin, I get a new life. Like this is the best stuff I've ever heard. And then it says, we go, we, we go on, regard no one according to the flesh. In other words, the old way we used to perceive people was we just measured what we could see, the outward, the flesh, the, the physical reality. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. I used to view Christ that way. It's like, oh, that's cool. Religion, that's cool. Yeah, that's fine if you want that. Like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I've heard of Jesus. Of course I've heard of Jesus. Jesus is really cool. That was kind of my perspective. It was like, well, gee, well, oh, don't say bad things about Jesus. And it was like, yes, yeah, religion. You don't step on people's religion. And our religion happened to be, well, we went to church. So I guess that was what I was. But I only saw the outward until God opened my eyes. And now I see, I see what verse 17 describes. I, I saw a fresh start. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Wow. Was anybody excited when you heard about this new start? Was anybody excited and you kind of like, wow, all my sins, like, kidding me? Like, gone? My sins? Out of here? A new start? God's offering me a new start? Is that possible, a new start? I have so messed up. The older you are and the longer you've gone with Christ, the more you've messed up. Like, you're offering me a new beginning. You remember when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's what he's talking about. Like, I can be born a second time. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was born first. I'm pretty sure most of you were. But I'm not so sure if everybody was born twice. That's between you and God. Now, I see a lot of evidence that a lot of you, I'm pretty sure, quite a few of you, maybe most of you, I think most of you. I don't, know, I don't know for a fact, for certain, but I do see fruit that makes me think most of the people in this room have been born again. A whole lot of you have been born again. But can I, can I just let you know that if you haven't, you can be. You can be reconciled with God. You could be born again right now. We don't even have to go to the hospital. We don't. We can do this right here, right now. You can be reconciled with God right here and right now. If you will take Jesus Christ for what He did on the cross for you, then you can be reconciled with God and your former life can be, boom, dealt with at the cross. And then future sins as well. 
Jesus comes to pay for your sins in this life. He deals with your past sin and pardons them. And He provides a pardon that will cover your future sins as well. Now that doesn't, that's not a license to sin. It goes, good, I'm covered. That's not the attitude that we've been seeing in this passage. The attitude in this passage is, man, for the love of God, I'm willing to fight against sin because sin's what got me in a mess. So one of the manifestations that you understand or the evidence is you understand what Christ did for you is now you want to live for Him. And you know why? Because He's going to summon you to be one of His ambassadors. He's going to summon you to be His representative. Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus is calling you into the ministry. You've been called. You've been called into the ministry. That every one of you, you're ministers of reconciliation. You are His messengers. You are an ambassador. You get to go into foreign territory and represent Jesus and tell people that they don't have to stay in darkness, that they can come into the light. You have been reconciled to God Christ has reconciled you to Himself and He now gives you a ministry of reconciliation. And then He says, all this is from God. So God did it through Christ. Christ did it, reconciled us to Himself. Gave us a ministry of reconciliation. You little reconcilers, you. Isn't that awesome that God would call you? To be able to go out and tell people that they don't have to. They don't have to pay for their sins. They don't have to stand before God on the day of judgment with no help and no hope. They don't have to, they don't have to go to hell. They don't have to stand before the judge and be declared guilty out of my sight. You can go. We get to tell people that they can join us. And especially if they look at us, they realize we ain't much. We're not so special. You can join us. We're not so special. We got a pretty long list too, you know. If you want to see my list, my list is pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, you, I, didn't do, I didn't do that. But you did. But, but you didn't do this, what I did. Oh, you were a scoundrel that day. Well, I was a scoundrel that day. But the only difference is, is that I've aligned myself with Jesus. I've taken Jesus' offer. He's made the offer. He makes the offer to you. You can take the offer. The offers to you, be reconciled to God. That only is not what we get to tell people, but that's what I'm telling you right now. You can't tell people about re being reconciled to God if you're still at odds with God. I mean, you can tell them it's possible, but you'll be a very bad example because the first person will say, well, then why aren't you? If that's true, what you're saying, if that's true, then why aren't you reconciled with God? Like, how often do you go to church? How many times? For year, over your years, you've gone to church. How many times and you've never been reconciled with God? You believe that stuff? If you believe it, then you need to act upon it. It's like, well, let me party first. That's a young person. Let me party first. Let me get out of college and then I'll get reconciled with God. Because there's some good stuff goes on there. There's some horrible stuff that goes on there. And the only reason you think it's good is because you, you haven't met Jesus yet. And Jesus starts showing you what is really good. And, and you start thinking differently, and then you're like going, I want to be an ambassador for him. I want to go out there and tell people. Tell, I want to tell that drunk person, look, this is not as fun as you think it is. You look really stupid right now. And I want to tell that person that's over here thinking they're having the time of their life smoking weed or out there having sex, and I say, look, I tried that. I'm just going to tell you it's not as fun as it looks for the moment. You know that when you wake up tomorrow. 
You know when you start to live out the consequences of your decisions. You're having fun for the moment. But let's be honest here. It doesn't last now, does it? Because you're going to go do it again next Friday night because it didn't last. You're going to be looking, looking, looking. Can I just save you some time? I'm here as God's representative to tell you that you can have a new beginning. You can have your sins forgiven and you can start walking with God and God will get into you. He'll get into you. He'll get into your heart. He'll get into your mind. He'll start reshaping the way you think and He'll give you a whole new outlook. Are you interested in a new outlook or are you, are you good with the one you got? If you're good with the one you got, then I really don't have anything for you. I'm being honest. I really don't. If you're like, no, this is good. That's your choice. But as Christ's ambassador, I'm pleading with you, be reconciled to God. And then it says the coolest thing, God making His appeal through us. We're, we're the vehicles that God uses. God is appealing to the world and He's using you. How are you doing? Are you a very good ambassador? Do people recognize that, oh, I can tell you're from the King. You talk like Him, walk like Him, look like Him. You represent Him really well. Man, you make some pretty strong arguments for the King. It's like, wow, I even hear you saying things that I remember the King said. Wow, you said, that was from the Bible, wasn't it? That was from the Bible, wasn't it, what you said? Oh, that sounds like something the King would say. It's like, wow, you, you really represent Him well. You, oh, you're against that? Yeah, I, th I think He is too. Oh, you gave up that? I see why now, because you used to be against the king, now you're for the king. I see some of the changes you've made in your life since you met the king. And we're out there making our argument by the way we live and by the things we say. And the Lord says, be my ambassadors. For our sake he made him to be no sin who knew no sin. That in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Does that just not close it out? Is that just not awesome? For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Well, first of all, who never sinned? There's only one. That could only be one person. It could only be Jesus. It could only be the Son of God. He never sinned. But what does it mean He made Him to be sin? I thought he never sinned. He didn't, but he made him to be sin. He reckoned him as sinful. He accounted him. He treated him as if he was sinful. Why? Because he took our sin. He who knew no sin became sinful with our sin, not his sin. He never sinned. But he took our sin and declared himself in our place and says, Father, I'll stand for them. Hit me with your wrath. Lay it on me for them so they don't have to go through that. Hit me with the full cup of your wrath. Pour out your holy wrath on me, your sinless son, that they might have a way to be saved. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin. That in him, no other way, in him only. You want to stand before God, there's only one way. You want to have your sins pardoned, there's only one way. You want to be reconciled to God, there's only one way. You want to have the righteousness of Christ, God, you don't have your own righteousness, but it's available to you. The righteousness of Jesus is available to you when you take him 
into your heart. He comes into your heart with all His righteousness. And when God looks at you, the sinner, He sees the righteousness of Christ in you. And when He sees the righteousness of Christ, what's the Father going to say? You can't come into my heaven because I only see the righteousness of Jesus. It's like, no, Jesus is my Son. In Him I am well pleased. In Him I see the righteousness of God come in. And He comes in. That's what He does for us. So, the, the, the first thing I want to say, I just want to ask you this question. Are you reconciled? Are you right with God? Um, and do you understand how, how you can be now? I've tried to be clear. Do you understand... Do you understand why you need to be reconciled with God? I'm a sinner. Is everybody, if you can't get past that one, if you think you're good, then you're on your own, my friend. If you think you're good, you're on your own when it's time to stand before God. You're totally on your own. No one's going to stand with you because they don't have anything to offer you. And Jesus is not going to stand with you because you rejected Him. So I'm just telling you, are you ready to stand before God? And if you aren't, then are you ready to receive Christ and say, no, I, I am not ready. I need Jesus. Then I, here's what I want you to do. In your heart right now, I want you to say, Jesus, I so want you. I want to be right with you. And the only thing I can see, the only possible way that this can happen is that what Jesus did on the cross for me can be accounted to me that His righteousness can cover all my sin. Will, will you do that for me, God? And if you say yes, you say, yes, Lord, I take you today to be my only hope and my righteousness. Then that's called receiving Christ. And then you're saying, Lord, I want that new life. And I'll, I will, by your grace, I want to be your ambassador. I might not be a real good one, but I just want to let people know that you did that for me. That's, the, that's what it means to be a witness. I'm an ambassador. I want to tell you what God did for me and He can do that for you. It's not that hard. You don't have to go through evangelism school. You don't have to get a degree from Bible college. But let me tell you what God did for me. And that's being an ambassador. Alright? And then... I don't know, maybe there's someone here that has been thinking about baptism and just like, no, I just need to go public for Jesus. I'm just ready to go public. Or maybe you missed the opportunity. It's like, well, I've been public for Jesus, but I didn't do this. So I didn't fix that. It's only a little cold in the Chukasee River. And I'll be in there with you, so <laughs> we'll get cold together and wet together. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the love of God that can reconcile us to you. Thank you, God, that this is even possible. And Father, for those of us who already know you, we love you and we want to be better ambassadors. We want to represent you, God. And will you help us to get rid of anything that keeps us from not being a very good ambassador? We're ready, God. And right now we just confess that. We've done some things even this week, Lord, that probably weren't the best. And we just ask you to forgive us so that this coming week, We'll be good ambassadors. That People can look to us and they can just see that we really mean it in our hearts. That we are sinners, but we have found grace. And we want to walk with God and we enjoy, we actually delight in you. And that we can um, reflect that in the way we live and the choices we make. So thank you, God, not only for our initial forgiveness of sin, 
But thank you that we can come to you every time we sin, we come right back to you and we seek your forgiveness and pardon and your strength and courage to be ambassadors for you. And I just pray right now, God, that maybe there's someone here that's been wrestling this morning and they're willing after what they've heard to open their heart to just simply say, Lord God, I would take you to be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Reconciliation, being reconciled to God, and the implication is really clear. It's like, hmm, you can't be reconciled if you're not estranged from someone. If there's not a problem, there's nothing to reconcile. And the Bible teaches us that there's a problem between all of us and God. And God did something to bring us together and reconcile. Like God did something to try to fix the problem between us as human beings and our sinfulness and God who is sinless. And so that's what this chapter is about. So that my job is to try to help you understand what, what God did on that behalf. That number one, we have a problem. And number two, there's a solution. And um, I'm wanting you to understand that. So maybe what you'll do during the sermon, if you've never done that, I, I think probably most of you have. Usually there's a lot of people in, that go to church that have already um, been reconciled with God, but there's always people who think they have and really haven't. And then there's also people who clearly know they haven't and they're interested in finding out what would it look like for me to um, have a relationship with God. So that's what we're aiming at today. And so let me, let me pray. Oh, Father, we just pray that you would teach us and make this relevant. And Lord, please don't ever let me be boring. Please don't let me handle your word in such a way that it's not worthy of um, the dignity that it deserves. And Lord, I just pray also for anybody that's here and that maybe they're just really distracted and they're going to have a hard time listening because they're worried about some sickness or paying bills or a test coming up or a new job or no job or just things in their life a lot of pressure and anxiety. So I just pray that you would, we just want to commit this time to you, God, and just eliminate those things that could really get in the way of us listening, hearing your voice. Would you speak to us so clearly, God, as only you can do? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first thing is in verse 12, he starts, verse 11, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord. Therefore, which means he's following the previous chapter, arguing or making a point on something he'd already said. So he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So I want to begin by saying, why is he talking about the fear of the Lord? Because it's kind of interesting. We just jump into a sermon. There's got to be a context for it. So he's talking about the fear of the Lord because the verses above that, he had just talked about this big event that's going to happen one day. And it's called the judgment seat of Christ. So we're all going to eventually stand before God. And he says, therefore, since that's true, we need to think about being reconciled with God. If we really are going to stand before God, I have to give an answer for everything. It makes sense, doesn't it? Wouldn't you agree? It makes sense that, well, if I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for everything, um, I've got a pretty long list of things that I'd really not like to talk about but I'm guilty. Can we talk about this before I get there? 
is there like a way that we can work this out? Because it's too late then. And so that's really what this is talking about. And the fear of the Lord just really just means, um, I really believe this is going to happen. I believe there is a God. And I'd like to find out um, more. I'm kind of caught, I'm attracted to those words that says that Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And as a, as a preacher, my job is to try to be persuasive. And it's you. I, I think you try to be a persuasive. If you're a salesperson, it helps to talk about the product in a good way. It's like, oh, you don't want this sorry thing. I don't think your sales would go too good. Um, it's helpful to believe in the product. And then you sell the product, hopefully because you believe in it. And that makes you more persuasive. And when we come to the Word of God, it's important for us to remember that we need to, the goal is from, I'm truly trying to be persuasive. I really want to try to persuade you. I think about this all week. I think about what I need to say. I think about maybe where people are in their lives and what's going on in their lives. And I think, okay, Lord, I I really have this message and I want it to be convincing to people because I believe in it. And so I work hard and I would recommend you do the same thing that when you talk about God, you think, well, I want you to think about it. when you, you're saying, oh, I'm going to have this conversation with this person. I'd really like to tell them about my faith. Well, be persuasive. Try to think about what you're going to say. In verse 11, the second half of verse 11, it says, um, what we are is known to God. I hope it's also known to your conscience. So God knows me, what I am, everything about me. Does that terrify some of you? It ought to a little bit. I mean, there's a certain sense it's like going, whoa, I don't want every, anyone to know everything. And God's saying, I do know everything. Everything. Whew, I'm glad he's the only one. Because I don't trust you. I wouldn't like any of you to know everything about me. Uh, you're probably like that too. It's like, uh, I would a little bit TMI, too much information, right? But if you're thinking... Wait, the God who wants to be reconciled to me knows everything and doesn't reject me instantly, automatically. If you knew everything about me, I think you might, a lot of you would probably get up and walk out. But, well, I didn't know that about that preacher. I had a suspicion about that guy. But God knows and handles that information the way we wish someone else would. And God knows everything. Which also tells me that on that day, in verse 10, when we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive what is due, what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. It's like, oh, God knows he's going to bring everything up, everything, Lord. But I'm, can I just be honest with you? I'm not afraid of that anymore. I used to be terrified. But I'm really not afraid of that anymore. And because I've experienced what it is to be reconciled with God, before that, I was pretty terrified about the idea. But now I'm like, like, I'm actually looking forward to that day because Jesus is going to stand with me. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be alone because of this whole topic we're looking at. So what we are is known to God. I hope it's also known to your conscience. And that means God gave you a conscience. And your conscience is like a guilty bell. Ding. There goes another one. Ding. Like, it's, and we learn in our lives the consequences. You know, you got that. I got that thing when I preach. I put this little thing on silence. 
And sometimes we do that with our guilty, our conscience. We learn how to do that. It's like, shut up. I don't want to hear from you right now. I want to do this thing. Be quiet. Go away. I don't like you. And yet it just keeps coming back. Now, I will say that it's, pretty, it's a pretty helpful thing to help us know when to do right or wrong. Um, it's given to us for a reason. And God says, I'd really like to turn your conscience on. I want it on the own button because we need to talk about some of the things you've been doing. Okay. In verse 12, Paul, Paul goes on. Before he goes into his speech here, he's like, okay, all right, there's this fear of God. God knows you. It's pretty good if you're pretty honest about yourself. You need to know yourself. Um, then he gives another argument. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances, not about what is in the heart. So Paul's saying, okay, I'm not here to um, boast boost myself up. Um, you remember earlier there's times when Paul was an apostle and some people didn't believe him as an apostle and they thought, no, he's a fake apostle. So he had to do a little bit of boasting. And he said, well, I've been through shipwreck. I've been beaten. I was called directly by God. I've had a vision from God in which I was called. Um, he went through his list of credentials and that's because some people were accusing him of being a false apostle. So he had to lay out his list of credentials. He wasn't really trying to brag. He was just trying to prove that he really was a man who had been called by God and people should listen as he was an instrument of God. But now he says, I'm, I'm not doing that right now. Um, but what I really want to do is I want to talk to you about what's in your heart. Other people are real interested in your credentials like your... Um, your record, your um, worldly credentials, like, wow. I mean, you know, like, wow. We get known by our credentials as like, oh, he's, he's really smart. She's really pretty. Um, man, you know, he's fast. And boy, you know what he did back in the day in high school? Isn't that fun to hear old men talk about back in the day? I hate a sport. I love to watch sports, and he, I don't like it when the guy... I'll, I said, talk about this game, not back when you were 18. Um, or um, people are impressed with our car, our house, how much money we make, um, if we can sing well. People will identify you for what you do well in this world or what you don't do well. And God says, but I'm, I want to go in here. I want to talk to you about this in your heart. And so that's where God is aiming. He always aims at our hearts. If we are, verse 13, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And when he says that, if we're beside ourselves, or maybe another way to saying, if we're acting a little bit crazy, um, it's because we love God so much. If you get too crazy about Jesus, people are going to label you. Have you ever been labeled? Like, that person's a little crazy. They go to church every week and they put money in the bucket for no reason at all. Um, that could pay for lunch many times. Um, they take their vacations and go on these crazy mission trips. They sit around and talk about this old book. 
they sing these worst songs you've ever heard. And they, I don't know, they do crazy stuff. And Paul is saying, sure, people may not understand. And sure, we might be called out sometimes for some of the things we do. And people in the world might not understand what it means to be a Christian. So they might go, man, this person's just a little too radical for me or fanatical maybe. But Paul's saying, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. I don't, I don't worry about what people think about me in that way. I'm, I'm done with trying to impress them with worldly stuff. I just love God and I just want to live for Him. And, and they're also very comfortable now thinking, man, it's really, it's really not so bad being a sold-out Christian. You know, it's really not that bad. It's really, I kind of, I kind of, I like being a follower of Christ. It's like liberating, actually. And, and I don't worry anymore about every little thing. And, ooh, do I look right before I go out? Ooh, did I say that right before I sent out my little Instagram? Ooh, do I look cool? I heard something by I heard something about a, from a high school. This is just the the, the stage we're living in right now. I, I was talking recently to a high school coach, and the problem the high school coach was having with their players is the players aren't really they don't care about the game. They care that they look like they're in the game. So they take pictures of themselves looking really cool in their uniform. They're more concerned about taking a picture of themselves next to the field than actually playing the game. It's like, I look like a player, but trying to get them to practice and want to be a player, they're more concerned about the image than actually playing hard because it, it looks, it looks kind of cool. And Paul is saying, I don't, I don't really go for that. Paul's saying, what are you really? What, what really are you? What are you really like? Not what you want to project to everybody. God's like, well, what do you really like? And he goes into the, for the heart where he sees and really wants us to be reconciled to him. Um, so, verse 14, he says, the love of Christ controls us. Um, love is a very powerful thing, but we can love the wrong things. There's nothing wrong with loving. Loving is actually a powerful motivator, maybe the most powerful motivator and when I became a Christian, before I was a Christian, I was interested in love, but I was really most interested in love of me. Like I, I judged everything based on, well, how does that make me feel? And do I want that? And even my relationships, I picked relationships. Like, oh, she's pretty. That'll look good for me to go around with a pretty girl. Um, it makes me look like, well, he must be a cool cat. Um, or, hey, I, you know, everything was based, I had a real love for myself. And so all my decisions, my relationships, what I wanted to do was based on what made me feel um, meaningful. When I came to know the Lord and realized that He loved me so much that He would suffer and die on a cross for me, I wasn't prepared for thinking through that. Uh, I really didn't think I was that bad. I didn't think I, I thought I was better than most people. I mean, I didn't cuss quite as much as they did. And, um, I didn't get in quite, there were definitely people in high school who got in worse trouble than me. I, mean, I could always find someone worse most days. Um, but what I, I didn't understand until I figured out that Christ loved me so much that I found a new motive 
I was only 15 when that happened. I was 15. It took me driving off a bridge to figure that out. I did. I drove right off a bridge. My grandmother died. I was 15. It was my first driving trip. It was right off a bridge. My grandmother died. And on, before that trip, I was all about me. And I lost my grandmother. Um, could have died myself. And can you believe that I, I went into a river and I had to swim to the bank and I'm going up and I'm sitting on the side of the bridge. I hear sirens, cars. And in his own unique way, God took a passage of scripture I had memorized because I had to. I was like, well, it was my reward to go drive on the trip. My grandmother said, you memorize Psalm 23 and you can drive to go visit your older brother. So my motive for memorizing scripture was really not that great. It was, again, about me. It's like, oh, if I memorize scripture, I can go memorize these six verses and I get to drive to go see my brother. And that part I was into. And when I, when I was coming up out of the, up the little bank, and I, I don't know how God does stuff like this, but the spirit of God just speaks to you just speaks to you. And, and God was in his own way saying, don't worry about your grandmother. Um, but you need me. Your grandmother's fine. My grandmother loved the Lord. And it's, I really just felt this total overwhelming sense. Don't worry about her. She is good. She's right with me. But you're not. And the whole reason I was driving, with, the whole reason I was with my grandmother, because I had been drunk the two weekends before and I got grounded. And so, man, my life was, I was all heading in the wrong direction um, with all my buddies. And so God spoke to me. Do you know, I, I was 15. I'd been to church a lot. Um, my parents quit going because they got divorced, but um, I, when I was with my grandmother, I went. Sometimes I would go with my neighbors because I thought that was cool. Um, I mean, we didn't pay much attention. We actually sneaked out from up top and went to the store down the road. And you could, if you sat in the balcony with your friends, you could sneak out of the church, go down to the store, get candy, come back, and be there before the service was over. And your parents would never know because none of them wanted to sit up in the balcony with teenagers. So... It's like a light went off. And I discovered the love of Christ for me, for myself. It wasn't just a general thing anymore. It says one died for all. And the love of Christ came into my life. One has died for all. Um, I'm just curious. Do, do some of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about? That you were far from God doing your thing and almost like a blast out of nowhere. You were so busy doing your thing and just like you had no business. You weren't running after God. You weren't. You just weren't. You weren't interested. You were doing your thing. You were not running after God. And somehow I had many times to come to Christ before I did. I wasn't interested. 
And out of nowhere, I just felt for the first time, of course I knew God loved everybody. I just never felt like he could love me. And like out of nowhere, I felt loved. And I wanted to respond to that. I never did before. It's like, I don't want that. I really wanted my friends because my house wasn't a fun place to be most of the time. I didn't care much about being at home. I just wanted it out of the house and with my friends. And then Jesus met me in a crisis in such a real way that I just couldn't walk away. He was so attractive to me in that moment. For the first time, I saw him and what he did on that cross as being for me and my sins. And I had already, I was only 15, but I already knew I had a lot of sins. Um, and I just ran into his arms. I didn't care who was around. I didn't really pay attention. The only thing I knew is like, it dawned on me that this thing had just happened. And God was running after me in the midst of my crisis. And that one died for me. One died for one died for all, but it suddenly hit me that one died for one. And right then and there, I just cried out to God and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Save me. God, have mercy on this one. I know you're merciful. You have mercy on many. Can you, you have room in there for mercy for me? And I called upon the Lord. I didn't know a lot. I couldn't quote verses. I could quote Psalm 23, but that's what I had to do to get the drive. But now I had to understand it in order to live. Suddenly, the Lord is my shepherd. I couldn't, I couldn't claim that. But I felt like He was calling me and said, I'll be your shepherd. And so right then and there, I wasn't in a church building I was getting ready to get into an ambulance. Only thing I could think of, Lord, I just need you. And he came to me. And as a 15-year-old sinner, I was reconciled to God. It was 45 years ago I was reconciled. 45 years ago. 45 years ago, I was reconciled to God. And according to verse 17, I became a new creature. I became a new creature. Do you know, I didn't, I didn't know this verse, but I, can I, honest, I felt new. I felt new. I didn't understand it all, but I really felt new. I felt, I felt like, oh my word. I may, I'm going to probably have to change some of my friends. No one even told me this. I'm probably not, I probably don't need to go out with the older guys with a cooler full of beer. I, I probably ought not hang out when we're at my friend's house and we go up into his treehouse with all the porn magazines. I probably ought not sit at the same table anymore at lunch where all the guys do is tell dirty jokes and talk about getting a girl over the weekend. I probably need to change that. It's like, I don't think I will even want to do that anymore. 
And I felt these new desires coming in, like desires I always thought. Here's what I always thought. Man, if I'm going to have a Christian, it's going to be the hardest thing I ever do because I really like things that Christians aren't supposed to do. That was my view. It's like, I don't want to become a Christian because I'm really attracted to all the bad things. Like they're fun and cool and I'll become a Christian later when I'm old and I don't want to do any of that fun stuff. But suddenly I became a Christian and my whole desire for life started changing. It's like, I don't think I want to do that anymore. And then I go, what an idiot I must have looked like when I was doing that. What a fool I was thinking that was so much fun. I was like, it's like, no, I, suddenly the things that were so attractive were changing. And suddenly I wanted to hear the Word of God. I wanted to find out what was in it for me as a new Christian. It's like, well, I want to, I heard people talk about promises of God. I never thought about, I was like, oh, that's just a song. Standing on the promises of God. It's like, let me out of here. And suddenly those promises are like, wait, is that really a promise like for me? Is, are you, is this for me, Lord? I started reading the Bible. I hated the Bible, but now I've started reading the Bible. It's like, wow, before I would go to bed at night, I would pick up the Bible and read. And then someone says, hey, maybe you, I heard someone say that they woke up early before school and read the Bible. And I was 15 and no one, no one in my house did anything like that. And I thought, wow. And, I, and the God began to speak to me in this book and I kind of got excited about it. And then I, I read testimonies of other people that had come to know the Lord. And I was like, coolest thing about these people. And they came to know the Lord. And I was like, whoa. And then I found out my oldest brother had become a Christian. And I didn't even, didn't even realize that when he was off at college, he had become a Christian. And I kind of knew it, but this is the first time I was interested in it. It's like, hey, I, I know you had this Christian thing happen when you were in college. And it's like, man, I felt so new. I didn't feel dirty anymore. I felt like I wanted to go to church. I heard about this thing called Christian music, and it's like, I, I kind of liked some of it. And I would listen, and I thought, well, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in Hotel California. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, it's like, Hotel California, babe. Give me the Eagles. Give me Kiss, K-I-S-S. Give me rock and roll all night. I was me, baby. All my rock and roll songs. And then I would plug them in. I had, it's back in the 8-track days. Those things were about four pounds and about the size of a shoebox. And you shove it into the 8-track player. You get eight songs on one plastic container. And then suddenly I would shove that in there and go, I don't think I like that. And I just, I was changing. And God was doing it. And the old was starting to pass away. New things were coming. And then I, I didn't know it. I didn't really know that I was called to be an ambassador for Christ. But I just kind of felt like, I felt it. I kind of felt like, well, hey, I probably ought to say something to some of my friends. Maybe I should, I think I ought to tell them why I don't want to go get drunk Friday night. Because they were wondering. It's like, how come you aren't hanging out with us? It's like, First, I just said, oh, I'm busy. And then I thought, well, maybe I should tell them why, really. I'm really not busy. I'm actually bored out of my head. 
because I don't have any friends. Like everybody I knew wanted to go out and party and go do it. I was like, I'm actually kind of bored, so that's really not the real answer. I'm, um, I'm sitting here alone on Friday and Saturday night for the first time in my life, and I'm like, I need some new friends. But I probably should tell my, these have been my friends, and I should probably tell them kind of some of what's going on. And I started sharing with them, and without even realizing, I, I was becoming like an ambassador for Christ. It's like, go out and speak for me. It's like, okay, I'm kind of nervous, though. It's, and some of them made fun of me, and it's like, oh, Mr. Goody Goody now. Oh, you're too cool to go hang out with us. Oh, you're too good. It's like, no, no, I don't feel that way at all. As a matter of fact, I don't feel good at all. I know if I go out with you, I'll get drunk again. It's like, no, I, I'm not, what I'm is, what I am, it's not that I'm not good, I'm not strong. I don't really, can't handle the temptation. Do you know one time I gave in and I went with him? Can I confession here? We went out and here's the, here's the way it worked when I was a kid. You find someone that was 18 back then, I think you have to be 21 now, right? It's been a long time since I bought beer, so I don't know. And I'm plenty old enough now. Um, but back then, you needed an 18-year-old friend. And you buy two packs of beer, and he gets one, and you get one. You pay for it all, but since he has the license to get it, he buys it, and you get yours, and then you, just, you ride around with older guys, and you like, think you're super cool. And so one time my friends, when I was a young, early Christian, is like, hey, just come hang out with us. You think you're too cool. I said, no, I, I don't. So I remember hanging out with them. I thought, okay, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And so they keep trying to get me to drink. And, and I just remember finally I said, okay, I'll hold a beer. And so every time we would come to a stop, my window was down. I didn't realize I'm like pouring it out. And I'm acting the idiot because I don't want them to know I'm not drinking. So I act like I'm drinking. Do you know that was the most miserable night of my, one of the most miserable nights. I was, I was stuck between two worlds. I wanted to be cool with my friends. But I wanted to remember that I had made a promise to God. I was so miserable. Living between two worlds was so miserable. And I thought, Lord, I remember thinking, I didn't use these words, but it's what I was thinking. I was not such a good ambassador tonight. I wasn't a very good ambassador and my friends probably don't know that I've changed because I haven't really told them yet what's going on. And I thought, hmm, I think, number one, I, I probably shouldn't. I'm not ready to go out with them because I'm not very strong. I'm pretty weak. And so I need you to strengthen me. And so I need a time of strengthening. So, Lord, I'm going to need some new friends. Can you provide some new friends? And he gave me one. So thankful for that one. Do you know my friend and I, we were so different. I love sports. He hated sports. I like this. He hated that. Only thing we really had in common was Christ. But we started hanging out all the time. And it was pretty cool because God gave me a friend that I never would have thought would be my friend. I thought he was just a total nerd. And I really thought I was so cool. But come to find out, um, he was actually pretty cool. I just never saw it before. And, um, and so God, we started going to a Bible study with these older people because we went to this teeny tiny church and there weren't any other people our age, but there was an older Bible study with people that were like in college. And we started going to that and we would just listen and we started growing. 
And God began to help me understand that I was supposed to be his ambassador. And that he was going to make his appeal through me. It's what it says. God makes an appeal through us. And then he said, we implore you on behalf to be reconciled to God. And then when I get to the verse 21, it just made sense. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God made, the only person I knew that had not sinned was Jesus. I thought, well, Jesus didn't sin against God. And so God made the only one who had never sinned, Jesus, to be sin for us. It's like, well, he didn't make him sin. He didn't make him, it doesn't say Jesus, it made him sin for us. It made him to be sin. It, Jesus didn't sin. He didn't break the Sabbath. He didn't lie to his parents. He didn't order water and get Coke at the fountain. He didn't, um, what a, you know, he didn't, he, not even the tiniest little thing. He didn't slam the door when he got mad. He didn't gossip about his friends. Jesus was the best friend you could ever have. He didn't one time, one time, I could never imagine not sinning. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to not sin. I sin every day. But the only person who never sinned became sin for you, the sinner. The sinner, the sinless became sin for the sinner. And Jesus, the Father, chose to send His Son to become sin. He took all my sin, all your sin, and He took the punishment by being nailed to a cross. He took the punishment of the world, but more importantly, He took the punishment of the Father. Jesus took not only the wrath of man, He took the wrath of God. And He, was, he hung there on that cross until it was finished. And that's... So He took... For our sake, He took that sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you, do you understand, when God looks at Scott Carter, He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you, you get that? When God looks at you, if you are a believer, he knows what you've done. He knows your record. But He doesn't look at your record because He applied... You and Jesus made what we call the great exchange. You give Him all your sin and He gives you all His righteousness. That's what it means to be joined to Christ. So God who knows all my sin sees the righteousness of His own Son when He looks at me now. That's why I'm not afraid to stand before God on Judgment Day. As bad as I've been, as blemished as my record is, because He says that when I stand there, Jesus will cover me in His righteousness. That's the most righteous. That's the most righteousness ever. I'm not going to try to crank my righteousness up and do a little better, because I still have my record. But when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his own dear son. And he says, of course, come in. Of course you're pardoned. My, I see my son in you. I see you and I see his righteousness attached to you.
and I feel overwhelmed with the, with the goodness of God. So you and I are now, if you're a Christian, you're an ambassador. But I, I want to make, make a final appeal because it, it says that I, I'm told by this verse that I need to try to be persuasive. And I've got some pretty good stuff to offer. I've got some, I'm selling a pretty good gig here. I'm selling, I'm offering Jesus. And you know what the price is? You have to throw yourself down and hold yourself out. Throw everything you're trying to add to Jesus. Throw your self-righteousness. Throw your filthy rags. Throw all your boasting. Throw all your self. And just stand there with nothing. Lord, I have nothing. I only can receive. I have nothing to give you. I am only here to receive your righteousness. And that's the great exchange. And the Lord says, that's all I've ever been waiting to hear you say. I throw, I'm done with trying to impress you. I'm impressed with you. I'm impressed with what you did for me. I'm impressed with your righteousness. I'm impressed with your love. I'm impressed that you know me and you didn't walk away from me like everyone else does when they know me. You love me. You you will not ever forsake me. You will never walk away from me. You will never abandon me because at the cross I met you and you sealed me in the blood of your son. What kind of covenant? We have entered into a blood covenant with God through Jesus Christ. The Father will never, never break that covenant. We are sealed. It's done. We're in. Why would you walk away from that? I implore you. Be reconciled to God. He's done everything. You don't need to add one thing to it. There's nothing that you do that can add to it. And there's nothing you do that can take away from it. It doesn't matter what you've done. His righteousness is greater than your unrighteousness. His record is more powerful than yours. His perfection is so much stronger than your imperfection. He can take your imperfections. That's exactly what He did. He took all your sins and flaws and He nailed them to the cross and He died. And guess what He did after He died? He rose in victory. The resurrection is the amen of God. Jesus died and He rose saying, Amen, free, pardoned. You want a piece of that? Well, then come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. How could we turn away from such an offer that you would love us knowing full well the depth of our sin? But when we see the depth of your love drove you to the cross and held you there, we are moved beyond words. Oh, Lord. If there's someone here today ready to have you, I implore you, be reconciled to God. And oh Lord, for those of us who are reconciled, we'll admit we're not always the best ambassadors. We've got some unfinished business today, God. Some of us 
have been messing around lately and we haven't been walking with you very closely and we feel a bit ashamed what we've done and we're just going to bring that shame and we bring it right here right now and we bring our most recent mess ups we just bring them right here to you in the name of Jesus we just ask for cleansing we want to be better ambassadors we want to let people know what you've done for us it's so amazing so good we love you we love you why would you do this for us oh father the depth of your love thank you we praise you we love you and we want others to know you it's just such a great deal in jesus name amen